Blog Talk Radio. Tell me lies, my sweet little eyes. And she turned to me and she said, 
Afro, Afro, Circus, Circus, Afro, Circus. And I went, what the hell are you talking about? And she said, oh, you haven't seen Madagascar 3? I'm like, well, madam, I have not seen Madagascar 1 nor 2, let alone 3. And she said, well, go see Madagascar 3, and then you'll know all about the Afro Circus. And now I do. And now because of that, we bring you this show tonight. Um, You're going to so, sing that stupid little Afro song more than once at me, aren't you? I've, I've done it at least twice, you know, in the last 10 minutes. Pokedot, yeah. Pokedot, Pokedot, Pokedot. <laughs> best part My of life, movie. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Robert Winfrey was an innocent man once upon a time. People pretty much left him alone. He sat on his porch, whittling the days away. And then I came along and started pinching his nipples every once in a while. And, and now, I, now I chase him around Utah, pinching his nipples. And he says, get off me, sir. I was fine before you came along. I said, no, no, your life must, your life must include pinch nipples. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> All right. So let's get into uh, this first one here. Now, normally when we uh, when we do these longer rooms, I talk about, uh, you know, I ask Sean or whoever the guest is, my or you know, co-host, um, you know, why are we doing this? What uh, what brought you to these movies? And you you have a special hatred for them. <laughs> you, you've been complaining about this since yesterday. You, you well, were yesterday the reality out. set in that I would have to be here for around about two hours discussing them. So let me ask you a question. Did you, I mean, these came out in 2005. That was 11 years ago. That would have put you in, what, your late teens, early 20s? Uh, 19 or so, yeah, just out of high school. Okay, so this obviously wasn't meant for you. Yet a startlingly high number of mid to late teenagers went and saw this and then insisted on quoting it uh, incessantly. Okay, well, talk to me about that. Talk to me about your experience with this, your contemporary experience with it back in 2005. Um, Did did 2005 Robert hate it then, too? I mean, let's start there. Uh, Yes. Good interview. (laughs) Talk, goddammit. No, no, it's much more amusing to make you talk. No, um, I, one of the things that you have to understand about why these movies repel me so much in so many ways. First of all, my comedic sensibilities are virtually anathema to the humor that is used in these movies by and large. There's a few jokes here and there, especially in the first one that I found amusing, but by and large, it's not humor that appeals to me. Now, that's not a condemnation. Humor is subjective. I really don't like uh, pop music, popular music as a general rule. I find it to be soulless, uh, tinny, and it makes my ears bleed. So the fact that I then had to you know, kind of go about my life with a variety of people deciding that spontaneously they would have to sing, I like to move it, it made me want to hit people. I like to move it, move it. You yes, like to move it. Right move now, it. that urge is kind of building up in me, and my brothers are evicting, or you know, leaving the room. We like to move it, move it. Like to move it. So that didn't play well. Also, I hate Ben Stiller. I hate the collected works of Ben Stiller. With, I've said it before. If we could somehow convert my hatred of that man's work into energy, I could power Central America. 
I it, it revolts me on every conceivable level. Intellectually, ethically, morally, emotionally, physically. I cannot stand it. So his presence in this movie simply adds, you know, gasoline to that bonfire of my dislike for it. And uh, and the sad thing is, there's a few jokes in there that I think are funny. Most of them involved either the penguins or the chimps. Uh, the running okay. gag of whenever Phil the chimpanzee uh, is made awake or, you know, you're suddenly made aware of his presence, he always emerges from like a pile of beer cans. <laughs> it, it reminded me of the running gag in like Police Academy where whenever they stop the car, they hit garbage cans, even if it's in, like the middle of the street. So did you see the movie when it first came out with a, with a bunch of your teenage friends and they're going, ha, isn't this great, isn't this funny? You know, look at all these references. Aren't they cute? And you're just going, you're all, and you, Sam the Eagle, are just going, you're all weirdos? Uh, no, I didn't see this movie in theaters. I, it, it doesn't appeal to me. I knew it wouldn't appeal to me. I had some friends, and this movie is one of the reasons, uh, it spawned one of the discussions I had with one of my brothers about comedy and comedic movies only really working when you're in a group you need to have kind of the shared experience of laughing at something. And I, I just maintain that part of that is because with any group over five or so, the I, the average IQ point, the average IQ level drops proportional to the amount of people there. Caps off at around 15% for a group of greater than three or 400. And that that's not an insult. That's mob mentality that takes over. This is documented human behavior. But when you have to laugh at the antics of slow motion zebras and uh, you know, a lion or Sasha Baron Cohen at all, you need to have your IQ lowered by whatever percentage is necessary. So when I saw the movie, I rented it because, again, some of my friends, uh, one of my brothers had seen it. They enjoyed it. I watched it and I kind of went, yeah, you're all a bunch of, you're all a bunch of weirdos. Like, <laughs> what, what about... The, the dancing lemurs and the bush babies and the eye eyes like that's not funny <laughs> oh look the hippo's fat yeah it's a hippo why is this amusing to you people <laughs> just okay uh, so no i was again uh, just nothing in this movie appeals to me personally then having seen it, and this is a severe weakness of the DreamWorks movies in general, they do not age well. No. I mean, let me, let me interrupt you right there. I, uh, I, I watched this with my family. Now, obviously, now, I have kids born in 2011 and then uh, 2014. So obviously, uh, they've never seen these movies before. Um, and we watched, uh, we, we watched the first one a couple of weeks ago. And you know they, they had and they had no no connection to them. They just they like you know daddy basically walked in the room and said, hey kids we're gonna watch the movies with a bunch of fun animals in it. And they went uh, okay sure. And it's funny because my wife and I are watching this and we both looked at each other and she said Jesus these are a bunch of two thousand four thousand three references. And that's it. That's the movie. The movie is talking animals, sight gags, and. Re- and, and pop culture references that are old by the time the movie old. comes out. 
but they were even old in 2005. You know, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you this. These stopped, these aged badly. They fell off of that metaphorical cliff after three years. What, what cracks me up, though, is the, uh, you know, it's supposed to be, like, the, the humor is so, it's not subtle. You know, you have Sasha Baron Cohen as King Julian doing, I like to move it, move it. For no good reason. I wanted him to die so much. But that's the thing. It's like, like that is, in and of itself is like is supposed to be funny. It's like right sitting around a table going, okay, what's funny? What can we put in this movie that's funny that'll get the kids like, oh look, a dancing obnoxious lemur. And here's oh, the thing. a little it, bite on the butt between friends. Go on, give it a nibble. But here's the thing. It is funny. Now it might not be funny to you, and I'm not necessarily saying it was funny to me either, but. When Pete, when you say Madagascar to people, other than Afro Circus, which is because of the third one, which came out relatively recently, um, you still have people going, "I like to move it, move it." Jeff Harris of Four One One Mania wrote that as a comment when we when we were pr- uh, promoting the show tonight. As you put that on your, uh, I saw that Robert Winfrey. Li- but I'm telling the audience that Robert Winfrey likes to move it, move it. That is completely and utterly untrue as a statement, by the way, but I appreciate the humor. Yeah, yeah. Um, We get it, Eeyore. So, uh, my my, my point is that they did tap into that that sort of um, simplistic mentality of the majority of uh, of the audience that, you know, the kind of points and lasts and goes, ha-ha, singing, dancing, lemur to a pop song. That doesn't make any, you know, it's, it's, you can almost hear the thought process. Hey, lemurs don't sing and dance. <laughs> you know, why would he sing? I like to move it, move it. That doesn't make any sense. Ah, ah, ah. You know, and while you and I might appreciate something on a higher level, uh, you and I are not most people. And I'm not saying this to be obnoxious. It's just, this is it's the chasm terrible. between... This is the chasm between you know your general audience who you know brought this thing to 532.7 million dollars worldwide, and you and I who you know I'm only just getting around to watching this now and will only watch it with my kids in the room. I have no desire to see this thing again. So, but, but that's what it is. And and again, I say in case this wasn't clear, this the humor in this thing. Like we, we talked about Zootopia last night. And the jokes derived from the issues in the movie uh, and the interactions among the characters. The jokes in Madagascar are only po- are, are oh look it's a pop culture reference. Oh look it's another pop culture reference. And this goes on. And I, I when I first watched it, I put on Facebook. I said I'm going to just start referring to this movie as reference the mo- the animated motion picture because that's all it is. Uh, Which is probably part of the reason that the humor falls so flat for me. I have never cared for popular culture, and that's not me digging at those who do. There's plenty of people that do, and you know, to a degree, you should be at least literate within popular culture. But I don't care enough about it to internalize it, to remember it, to pay attention to it. So the jokes in that movie that are all pop culture references, I don't. I, I just I don't get them in some ways because I just I, I don't understand the material they're mocking. Um. Okay, and I was gonna say, and then eleven years later, they certainly don't resonate nearly as much. So it's sort of 
you know, you said they don't age well. Yeah, they don't age well at all unless, you, you, you know, you're a little kid and you're not really going to get a lot of the jokes. But gee whiz, the animation's fun to look at, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the characters are funny, I guess. Can we talk about how terrible the animation is in these movies? Go ahead. This is the most uh, – I because I was watching three today because I hadn't seen three. The other two I'd seen, again, I rented the f- first one. I saw the second one while donating plasma because some sadist back there thought it would be funny. And I saw the third one today in preparation for this show. I would not have seen it otherwise. When watching the animation for this, especially compared with some of the other animated films that we've seen, even contemporarily with 3, which was released in 2012, it's just a collection of really recognizable shapes and bright colors. There's no depth to it. There's no artistic beauty or merit to the animation. It's exaggerated. It's deeply simplistic. And it's as, it's as superficial as the humor. There is nothing to these movies. Yeah. They chose very angular shapes, which I thought was interesting. You know, whereas Zootopia, yes, it's animated. Yes, it's, yes, it's talking animals. But Zootopia, you could you could believe that world is real. Frozen, you could believe that world is real. There's nothing so especially odd looking about any of it. You're like, oh, you know, this is clearly a cartoon. I mean, even uh, Shrek, bizarrely mm-hmm. as that may sound, Shrek at least has it. I mean, again, the animation is what it is in terms of general quality with DreamWorks. But Shrek at least has some texture to it. You know, there's right. even the monsters look for want of a better phrase, real, within the sense, within the, you know, I can believe that, you know, if there's an ogre, okay, that's about what it would look like. It's proportioned properly by and large. I mean, his legs are a little too short, you know, for a hu- from a human perspective, but in terms of, oh, he's, you know, bipedal. Yeah, okay, I buy that. And the, the world looks lived in. The characters look textured. Um, it, it, you know, it seems like you could reach in and sort of feel that world. Whereas Madagascar... You could look at it two ways. Um, these look like child drawings. You know, these are child renderings of animals in pretty in pretty landscapes. Or this was sort of some sort of artistic choice of nothing will be rounded. Everyone, everything needs to be angular for some reason. Um, which, which okay, but you're you're always here's the thing. Like I said, you're watching Zootopia and you're in that world. You're watching this, and you're constantly being reminded you're watching an animated motion picture because it looks. It feels like... flat. Th- this movie visually feels two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. It looks really uh, simple. Like there wasn't a lot of time and care put into it. Yeah, and it, simple is not necessarily a pejorative in this case. Simple can be can work very very well, especially with children's movies. This seems almost. I mean, what's a better way to kind of make my point about simplistic? Uh, okay. Basic. Hang on. The good dinosaur. You know, amateurish. First level good, type stuff. Take a look at the, our review of the good dinosaur, where the, one of the positive things we had to say about the movie was the, uh, uh, the, the landscaping and the animation. I mean, it looked like they, 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 they projected the cartoon characters on top of real landscapes. Yeah. Um, Whereas, or again, whereas this, it was like, 
they just sort of threw together a bunch of pretty colors and you know it, it kind of reminded me of like the Daffy Duck cartoon where the guy's like sketching the cartoon as they're writing you know as it's happening <laughs> like, yeah, close, yeah. Huh? I remember that yeah how about the no, mountains now, the, the irony of one being that it's probably the best of all three of these movies there's actually something of a story to one, whereas two and three, I maintain, have increasingly minuscule amounts of actual story put into them. Well, yesterday I yelled at you because you were like, oh, you know, it's the same plot, you know, and I said, Jesus Christ, you know, there's, there's only so many plots in this world. Um, I can't yell at you about that today because, yes, it's not that the plots were overdone, it's that there is minimally a plot, especially in the second one. Um, they, uh, it, it becomes basically, it, it's weird, you know, so, some movies, the way that they're written, you know, you really have to sort of bend and twist in order to get a sequel out of it because you've written yourself into somewhat of a corner. And I feel like that's what happened with the second one. It was like, oh, well, we didn't mean that. We didn't know this was going to be this successful. So shit, we have to write ourselves out, out of the, uh, out of this corner that we're in. And there's like the barest, the barest of plots, you know, it just, again, it just becomes an excuse for a long stream of gags. And then in the third one, they were a little bit better off. And we'll we'll talk about that as we get to it, but um, let's, let's get into what these movies are. So I'm not going to go into a plot by a plot point by plot point synopsis. Uh, I I will say this. We have our four main characters we have Ben Stiller, who plays Alex the Lion, and he's uh, he, he's the, the toast of the town. He's the headliner. Uh, he loves being a show lion at the zoo. It's fantastic. He's got the greatest life ever. And then you have Chris Rock playing Chris Rock, the, the zebra. Um, can we just talk about that for a second? Everybody Chris Rock else was the- less obnoxious in the fourth Lethal Weapon movie than he is in these. Well, no, I want to have a serious discussion about this. I, I'll get back to okay. the plot point in just a minute. But I understand that, you know, if you're, you're a working Hollywood actor, you know, you take, you take the parts that you can get, and, you know, they always say, you take one for yourself, you take one for the business. And this is obviously a part he took for the business. You know, if you're Chris Rock and you're trying to put away money so that you can do your own project, take care of your children buy the things that you like and, and continue to live the lifestyle that you've grown accustomed to and that you deserve for your hard work. I don't fault him for taking these movies. So I do wonder if he's woken up at night by the thought that he's doing blacker face. And, and that is this character to, to the nth degree. His, uh, his character. Oh, what the hell is his name? Um, Marty. Marty. Marty the zebra. Marty the zebra if you take out Chris's portrayal of him is, is the zebra that wants to, that wants to be free. He doesn't want to live in the zoo anymore. He wants to be out there in the wild and he wants to run free, free as a bird. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that as a, as a, as a character description. Unfortunately, Chris Rock plays Marty as, you know, as a juking and jiving, uh, blacker face version of Chris Rock. And if I have to hear "Let's Crack a Lacken" one more time, I'm going to throw something. I was worried you might try and say that at me because I might have flipped the table over that I'm sitting at. <laughs> no, I have my limits. You know? And Good while to know. Afro 
And well, Afro Circus to me is funny. When we get into the crack of lacking, I start wanting to I start wanting to knock stuff off my computer table. And I was just like, does Chris Rock ever look at himself and go, I am such a sellout? Because you know? <laughs> here's a, I mean, if you've heard his stand-up, it's not like he's, like, I wouldn't go as far as to call him a black nationalist, but he's certainly proud to be black. He, you know, he certainly is somebody who dives right in the race pool, you know, and points out, you know, the, uh, the inequities of being a black person in today's society. He, you know, he talks about the, you know, the struggle as it were, and he does it in a very funny way. We've all heard the routine about, you know, black people versus niggers and all that other stuff that he says. Actually, and I haven't. Goes, oh, you haven't? You should, you should. It's hysterical. Um, okay. <laughs> if there was ever a reason for white people to use that word, <laughs> because, they, because they keep quoting him doing it. But, and then he goes and takes a role like this, where you're like, okay, play, you know, <laughs> hey, hey, Chris, could you be a little blacker? Could you be a little more Chris Rock, please? Like, ugh, you poor bastard. Because they don't ask that of Jada Pinkett, who was also, a, you know, a proud black woman, but she gets to be that hippopotamus who's just there. <laughs> you know? I imagine they compensated her performance being rather neutral with a very fat hippo. But that's the thing, like, yeah, it's just like, okay, so have Alex the Lion, you're, 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 ben you're, Stiller, all... you're, you be a bigger ham, Chris Rock, you be blacker, Jada, we'll make up for it in animation, and David Schwimmer, we want you to be even more neurotic. Yeah, David Schwimmer, I thought was, was funny as the giraffe, because, you know, David Schwimmer's kind of a fop, and, you know, and they want him, they, they want to take that essence of foppishness and apply it to this sickly giraffe. Yep. My very first rectal thermometer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does everyone remember his character from Friends? Yeah, imagine him sick all the time. That's the giraffe. Um, so anyway, any just before I continue with the plot synopsis, do you have any thoughts on Chris Rock and his sh- shameful, shameful blacker face performance? Do you even agree with that, by the way? My context for it is very different from yours. In what way? Well, uh, how do I say this? Okay, if this I is going to no, make you uncomfortable, I don't want to do. I don't want to go through that again. So we'll, we can no, no, on. no. Just real briefly, just, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. I've never seen a Chris Rock stand-up routine. I have never gone through the effort to find one. He's either amusing in the movies that I happen to see that feature him, or he's not. I have no greater sense of him as a person, a personality, or a performer than what I happen to find incidentally. So the fact that you understand him to be a comedian who doesn't mind being on the edge and talking about race-related issues, when that might be a volatile topic, I'm not aware of that in any meaningful way. I mean, I assume he does because he's a uh, because I know he's a comedian, and they always do crap like that. But I have no sense of perspective or history when it comes to him as a performer. I only have what I know of him as an actor and what I have seen him in. And again, he's usually quite obnoxious, and I don't care for it. <laughs> okay, well, go watch when we're done with this. Go watch Chris Rock bring the pain. Um, then you'll know. And knowing his happening, I I might, I might not. 
All right, so we have Alex the Show Lion, um, Marty the Mar- Marty the Chris Rock Zebra, uh, Jada Pinkett is the Fat Hippopotamus, and Gloria. Gloria and David Swimmer is a sickly giraffe named Melman. Melman. Um, and so, I'm a little surprised they didn't go with Melman Stein because we all know what they were going for there. <laughs> yeah, the movie's a little on the racist side. On the other side, we have twins who went on to have their own movie. Um, oh, what, oh, Skipper, Kowalski, Rico, and Private, and they are trying to escape from the zoo. They want to get um, the whole. The penguins are actually what drive the this first movie, because without their escape attempts from the zoo, because they want to get to Antarctica, even though they were born in captivity. Without that, Marty never escapes. Alex never goes with him, trying to comfort his best friend. The other two never come along. They never get caught in New York and shipped off to a preserve in Africa. Uh, which is where they end up. So that's how they get to Madagascar. Um, I just have to say real briefly, the penguins for me are the funniest part of any of these movies. Well, you wouldn't be alone in that because that's how they got their own movie. Which they should not have had because they only work as an intermittent gag to play off the rest of them. I don't know. My family and I saw the movie last year. We thought it was funny. Um, No, but the fact that they always refer to uh, Chris Rock, uh, the zebra, as their monochromatic friend. (laughs) <laughs> because, you know, penguins are pretty monochromatic. You, higher mammal, right. can you read? No, but Phil can. Uh, the monkeys are my other kind of laughing point with this. Because you have Phil who can actually read, but can't speak in you know, sign language. You have the other monkey who interprets Bill's sign language for the other animals who don't understand it. Oh, I see so-and-so is giving a lecture on, you know, nuclear physics. Bill makes some signs. Well, of course, we're going to fling poo at him. <laughs> all right. So moving on to the next plot point, um, they all wash ashore on what it, what they believe to be Well, San they're Diego. going to a game preserve in Africa, and I think they were actually being shipped to the same one that Alex is abducted from, as we find out in the second. The penguins right. do not want to go to Africa. They want to go to Antarctica. So mm-hmm. where are we going? Eh, it, says, it says Africa. Africa. That'll never fly. Come on, guys. Uh, no, the, the penguins have some great one-liners. But they wind up kind of, the penguins wind up hijacking the ship. All of the main characters get tipped overboard, and they wash up on the shores of Madagascar while the penguins take the boat to Antarctica and land in the midst of a whiteout and decide, ah, nuts to this. Okay. So, as I was saying, and they land on Madagascar. Um, they meet the lemurs, who are led by King Julian, who is played by Sasha Baron Cohen, and he likes to move it, move it. <laughs> That's the extent of his character. He is obnoxious. He is uh, the one. The one trait about him that makes him more than just a one-dimensional running gag is that the lemurs are under attack from the fossa. The fossa hunt the lemurs, and King Julian quickly figures out that these large beasts would be all uh, hail. The New York Giants. That these uh, large beasts would uh, be great for protecting them against the fossa. So uh, he you know, he tr- he tries to win the, win them over and uh, make make them his protectors, his the lemurs protectors. 
Um, along the way, when you're at the bottom of it, uh, along the way, um, you know, our friends start getting hungry, especially Alex, and his animal instinct starts to come out. And again, another <laughs> another comparison to Zootopia. He is compelled by hunger. He later enters a feeding frenzy and then attacks Marty. Marty asks the question, why are you biting my butt? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so uh, Alex goes to the other side of the island because he's a threat to them. What we have here are three herbivores, and he's the, uh, he's the only meat eater. So um, he ends up going to the other side of the island. The... Uh, Fossa's attack again. He saves them from the Fossa. Uh, the penguins show up. The penguins feed him with sushi instead of steak. They are mad. They, are, they all manage to live together, and um, they can't get off the island. The ship is stuck there that the penguins uh, came with. So that's how the movie ends. Um, well, the movie ends with a pretty good gag, actually, as they've kind of found out that okay, this is how we're going to feed the lion. We've got the ship. You guys know how to operate it because, hey, they're penguins, and the only people who can drive anything are humans and penguins. And we can use this ship to get back to New York, where we all want to be anyway. And they're all in the boat, waving goodbye to the lemurs, and the penguins are on the beach, just kind of sunning themselves, and they're, you know, bye, bye guys, you know, we'll be sure to write. One of the penguins leans over to Skipper and goes, do they know the boat's out of gas? Nope. Just smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, uh, critically it was 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but you know, b- despite that, this was a, a, an amazing success. Like I said, 532 million at the box office. We've talked already a lot about the movie. There's not much more to say. Um, as far, you know, there's one sequence in the movie that I really like, and that is, uh, when, Alex finally, I'm sorry, when Marty finally is able to run free, it's one of the, it's one of the few times in the movie that Chris Rock isn't being overly blacker face and he's just letting the character be. And while we are, you know, we talked about the animation not being super great. Um, that's a pretty scene, you know, it was a great use of color, um, very vibrant. And I think it's shortly after that, that, you know, the, the lesson is learned that the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. And um, like that's, I think, the, what is it that happens that uh, that Marty figures out that this was not what he thought it was going to be? Because I know it's the second one where all, where all the zebras are the same and they all talk like him. But there's something that happens in this one where he's just like, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Uh, let's see. I think it was just uh, once you once they kind of realized that Alex is a predator and hey, look, you're meat. Okay, and so it wasn't necessarily being there. It was the fact that that by being by virtue of being there, Alex was reverting to uh, being a the uh, predator. Yeah, I'm free in my natural habitat in the wild, cool. but my best friend is going to try to kill me and consume my carcass. Gotcha. Fair enough. So, uh, anything, we've been at this now for about 35 minutes. Anything left to be said about the first Madagascar? It's it's a Midland movie. You know, it's nice for kids, but overall, it, you know, as we said about DreamWorks yesterday, it's your standard DreamWorks. Hey, stuff's happening in the culture. Let's get some comedians to make fun of it. 
that's basically all there is to these. If you have to watch these movies, this is the one to watch. Uh, despite, you know, sort of ending on a cliffhanger of, well, they want to leave, but they're stuck on the island. I mean, hey, Lost got seven seasons or whatever out of that same basic premise. <laughs> okay. Well, so, um, three years later, in 2008, they upped the budget from $75 million to $150 million. Um and they can they still continue to make more money with it as the second one made six hundred and two point three million dollars. Of course, I'm talking about Madagascar Escape Two, the letter, the number two, Africa. Um, they expanded the cast. They brought in. Um, there goes my son. Uh, they brought in Bernie Mac as Alex's father, and they tell a bit of a backstory about how he got to be who he was. Um, you know, he was sort of born to be a show lion, essentially, because, uh, you know, they, they show Bernie Mac's character uh, teaching him to fight. He doesn't want to fight. He wants to dance, Robert Winfrey. Don't you understand? He wants to dance. And I was thinking about uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a much better execution of that gag. No, 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 we're not going to have any of that here. And no singing. (laughs) Anyway, so um, we have our Lion King moment there. uh, Where, um, uh, what happens here? I'll just read it. I can tell you. Oh, go ahead. Well, you don't have a problem interrupting me normally when I'm trying to make a point. I figured you'd jump in here and save my ass. Nah. I'm, I'm not the saving kind. Get off the uh, no, Alex, we, we get a bit of backstory about Alex the Lion as a kitten. He, you know, his father is you know, king of the pride, which means he has to fight off all challengers all the time as an exaggerate, you know, as a play on how it actually is in the wild with lions. And he wants his son to grow up to be a fighter and to, you know, succeed him as ruler of this watering hole or, you know, this chunk of land where they happen to live. While he is beating up Alec Baldwin, who plays a, another lion who wants to usurp him as ruler, uh, little Alex is lured off of the preservation where they all live by poachers who then sell him to the zoo. Yeah. All right, so um, we're back on Madagascar now, and I think they've, they've tried They're to They're all playing, I like to move it, move it, while they board on the plane that the penguins and the chimpanzees have cobbled together. Right, and they're trying to, no, they're, they're trying to get home at this point, correct? Yeah, they, what they have done is they have taken the uh, elements of an old crash, like World War II era plane in, that crashed into the jungle, They've blended it with some pieces from the boat to repair the machinery, even though those don't necessarily meld one-to-one. It's a kid's movie. I'm not going to complain about the details like that tonight because, I mean, really, what's the point? And they are going to then fly this plane with the penguins piloting back to New York where they can all return to living happily in the Central Park Zoo. All right, so... They land in continental Africa. Uh, Alex is reunited with his father and the whole pride. Uh, Marty finds a pack of zebras, who again all sound like Chris Rock, which I didn't really understand as a joke. Um, <laughs> Melman, the hypochondriac, becomes a witch doctor from among the giraffes. 
and Gloria is fat. <laughs> she attracts the attention of the alpha hippo, Moto Moto, who I believe is played by Will I Am. That would be correct. And the, and the big thing there is, you know, because she's a large hippo, she's the most attractive of the bunch, yada, yada, yada. Um, so moving along, uh, we have a, again, we have a Lion King set up here where uh, Zuba is being challenged by Makunga. Makunga is played by Alec Baldwin. Uh, Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Um, and if I remember correctly, Zuba encourages uh, Alex to fight him, um, which, you know, because he's the, he's the dancer, not a fighter, doesn't go very well. And Makunga, I think, ends up taking over the prize. Is that right? Uh. Basically, there's a weird thing in here where it's not actually Makunga fighting him. It's uh, the silent brute, because there must always be a silent brute goon who's, you know, six feet taller than everyone else and, you know, built like Brock Lesnar and 80s Arnie had a child who can never actually beat the dad for whatever reason. But, you know, it's a hilarious mismatch when it comes to, you know, the dancing ballerina. That is Alex the Lion stepping in there with, you know, silent. Yeah, not not all the way there necessarily mentally, but boy, he's got enough strength to rip you, you know, yank the tailgate off a pickup truck. Uh, it, that anyway, that leads to uh, Zuba kind of resigning and Makunga takes over and Alec Baldwin in charge is never a good thing. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, back in the city, uh, we have a burgeoning love story between Melman the Giraffe. And Gloria the Hippo. Uh, you know, Gloria has won the attention of Moto Moto, but Moto Moto's attraction to her is purely physical and regards nothing of her uh, other feminine qualities. You know, doesn't doesn't recognize her for her brain, Robert Winfrey, or, or anything else she has to offer. She is merely a vessel. Um, and Melman says, no, she's more than that. And suddenly Gloria realizes, hey, the giraffe loves me. But whatever that's worth. <laughs> it's that. not worth a whole lot. Um, it's there part of the plot, the subplot. Um, so things start to go, things start to really go uh, crazy when the watering hole dries up. Alex and Marty leave the reserve to investigate. They discover that the stranded New Yorkers under the instruction of Nana have dammed up the river and built a primitive civilization. Alex is captured by a trap, forcing Marty to abandon him to seek help. Meanwhile, Zuba hears from Makunga what Alex did and goes to assist him. Uh, there's a bit, there's a bit with King Julian doing a sacrifice. It's not worth talking about. It's more Sasha Baron Cohen chewing up the scenery as it were. Um, he really uh, did not need to go with them off of the island of Madagascar, and really shouldn't have. Well, no, he it's just nothing. Example of, oh, look, it's really like King Julian's character. Sure, so, we, so we need to write him into the script somehow, even though he does, he accomplishes nothing. Um, the one thing I that, don't even think he gets laughs in the second and third one. Oh, I mean, they use him as a plot point for the Gloria Melman uh, love story in that Melman, thinking he'll never be with Gloria, volunteers to throw himself into a volcano to sacrifice to, to, as a sacrifice. And Gloria stops him and they, you know, realize that uh, they have a thing for each other. You know, she, find, she realizes she loves him too, yada, yada, yada. Never mind uh, how different species they are. Yeah, it's a cartoon they differentiate on the evolutionary chart so far back 
<laughs> anyway, um, so Alex and his father are uh, a rescue, uh, rescue both him and himself. Um, the New Yorkers fondly remember Alex from the zoo. The other animals arrive to pick him up with the plane, and together they all destroy the dam, freeing the water. Um, yada, yada, yada. As the watering hole fills, Makunga angrily makes a stand for control. However, Alex manages to remove Makunga from power by tricking Nana into attacking him. Zuba gives up gives the alpha position to Alex, but Alex refuses, refuse, uh, resulting in both father and son becoming co-leaders. And the movie ends with Skipper uh, marries a bobblehead hula doll from the plane and leaves on a honeymoon in Monte Carlo with the chimps and a huge tub of gold and uh, diamonds, leaving Alex, Marnie, Melman, Gloria, and the lemurs to remain happily in Africa with Alex's parents. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yes, it's, it's, I don't have a lot of criticism for this one other than it was just there. Uh, you know, you, you get some more fleshing out of, Al, of Alex's character. You know, Marty, who was, a, who was much more interesting in the first movie, you know, wanting to be the zebra that can run free. In this one, they did, a, they basically did a gag where all the zebras are the same. And so he feels like there's nothing unique about him. And I figured like they just needed to come up with a reason for him not wanting to stay there. You know, other, but other than that, you know, the rest of it's just, I guess if you're a kid, it's funny. Other than that, it's just, you know, as you said, it's by far the worst of the three. Uh, I mean, for as much as I dislike the third one more personally, I, I find there's like nothing of substance to three at all. Uh, outside of Brian Cranston's excellent Russian accent. Well, we'll get there in a second. As a Siberian um, tiger. But no, I mean, this one, it's it's a bunch of nothing. It really, really yeah. is. I mean, even as far as kids' movies go, you have seen the story of, no, the son wants to do something different than what the father does, and there's conflict and then resolution. That's been done in so many better ways. And not just, like, for me, but, you know, kids' movies. There are kids' movies where that same plot arc happens. And it is done so much better than this. Yeah. Um, mixed reviews from the critics. Rotten Tomatoes, it was a 64%. I think that made it barely, barely uh, fresh. But, you know, the kids loved it, and so they they went on to make a third one here. I don't want to belabor the point. I don't, you know, if we have nothing to say, I don't want to sit here and just kind of going over things for the sake of killing time. So uh, if you've got nothing, then I'm willing to just move on to the third movie here and keep uh, the party going. I'm trying to think about the second one. I don't remember laughing at the second one at all. I mean, again, I had a few. There were a few gags that the first one amused me with, mostly again the penguins and the champs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the main cast is not humor that appeals to me all that much. Uh, the second one. Uh, I don't have a whole lot. Again, it's you can find the same plots that they weave into this done better in better children's movies. There are better versions of, you know, we get lost in the wilderness and have to survive. There are better versions of, Dad, I just want to dance. <laughs> and there are better versions of, oh, I love her, but boy, she's with that jerk, and why doesn't she see me for me? But yeah, yeah, yeah. There are better versions of that too. It's yeah. just a lot of cobbled together pieces with very little flow between them. 
this is one of the few movie of these movies where I actually think the animation is pretty solid. There's a few of the kind of panoramic scenes in Africa that actually get a little bit of depth to them. It didn't. I have to be honest. I watched these over the past week, and and the second one did not keep my interest. You know, even for a kids' movie, even with my general acceptance of kids' movies and wanting to enjoy them, I kind of watched it and went meh. Yeah, that's about the response to it. It's again, it's a lot of nothing. It's especially nothing if you don't, if you weren't like immersed in the popular culture of, you know, 2008. I mean, I, I saw this for the first time a few years ago, like I said, while I was donating plasma, so it's under duress. There's a giant needle in my arm, and I can't move it. And You watch a lot of movies while you're donating plasma, I'm noticing. The center I go to is very nice about having a bunch of televisions up that they can play movies on, so that while we're donating, we're not just sitting there staring at each other. <laughs> You donate a lot of plasma, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, twice a week. I save lives, Mark. Yes, you're a hero, Robert Winfrey. I've always said that about you. You like to move it, uh, move it in the hero direction. Neither of those statements are accurate. <laughs> All right. Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. Now, this one I did enjoy. I, uh, I like, yeah, you and I are going to disagree about that, but... I don't understand what your big hatred of this movie is. Um... But essentially, we we are back where we where we left off. Uh, the, the penguins come back, and I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna get right to the point here. Um, they're trying to get home. They're trying to get back to New York City. They end up in uh, Europe. They come across a circus train. They essentially try to convince the uh, the circus train to pick them up and take them with them. Uh, they find out that this, this particular circus has become uh, has fallen apart, and so Alex offers to you know to help fix the circus and update it and make it a big thing. Uh, this is where we get the gag with Chris Rock doing the Afro Circus. You know, you know he's painting himself with polka dots and you know he, he's having a ball. Um, and, and to me, that is funny. I don't know why, but but that whole song and dance and and and. The look on the animated character's face just cracked me up. Uh, in any case... I'm glad you were amused. I really was. So um, they do, they, 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 they fix the circus. The circus becomes a phenomenon. They get a contract. They, the, the plan works. Uh, they wanted to use the circus to get home. They're, the circus is now good enough to get them home. And when they realize that they're going to go home... Uh, that's when they tell you know the the original performers, hey, we're leaving, and that's that causes a conflict. Um, meanwhile, one of the things that uh, that's going on is that, and this is why I say Europe's wanted, is that they are being pursued by a character named um, nothing. Captain there is no Gun name Cal to the character. Wong. There is no character to the character. This is the thing that chases them around. There's nothing there. We have Frances McDormand in her best performance since Fargo. That is absolutely not true. <laughs> Captain Chantel Dubois. This is, and these animals are her uh, are her whale. She is in pursuit, Robert Winfrey. She has made this her number one goal to bring these animals down. 
Can I say that this movie single-handedly has set back the actual process of animal control in major metropolitan areas by at least 10 years? Because <laughs> none of that is accurate. <laughs> anyway, so she's chasing them around Europe, and she finally corners them in New York. Uh, the circus performers go to help them, and they decide that not only is New York not what it's cracked up to be, um, so they, uh, they, they're going to rejoin the circus, and that's, you know, and, and that's the best of both worlds. They're not in Africa anymore, but they're not in New York either. They're going to go travel the world part of this uh, circus, which is essentially um, all the characters dressed up in neon lights and pop music playing. That's it. <laughs> that's the circus, everyone. So um, what is the uh, what is the song? With the, oh, Firework by Katy, by Katy Perry. Um which I like that, you know, anytime they, they did the bit where they were doing all the leaps and, and trapeze stuff and uh, they were doing it to Firework by Katy Perry, I thought it looked pretty cool, you know, as far as a laser light show effect. Um, you know, obviously there's not a whole lot going on in terms of death there, but, you know, in terms of visuals looking cool on the screen, I thought they, they captured that rather well. What can I tell you? You're entertained by bright, shiny things. It's okay. I'm not. You know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with myself. <laughs> so that's. A, it, I don't mean that as an insult, in, necessarily in this particular instance. Those sequences have upbeat music that is designed scientifically to simply get stuck in your brain. That's yep. all pop and music is. It's overly processed, mathematically designed to be as memorable as possible. Well, there's the, the, bright, shiny, flashing things going on on the screen, and you can watch stuff flip around in 3D. It's Look, man, if you're like stoned, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so anyway, um, so the, the movie sort of unfolds the way you think it would. And uh, the, the, as far as the performances, they're fine. The, the, the voice performances are what they should be. Um, Chris Rock is less... Uh, is, in each successive movie, is less blacker face. In this one, actually, he's... The, that's, he, I don't even think he's doing it anymore as such. He's just... He's more over the top wanting to be a performance zebra. So um, I actually find him less irritating uh, in this one. Maybe that's why I like this one the best, because Chris Rock doesn't piss me off as much. Um, uh, David Schwimmer and Jada Pinkett take, take a backseat in this one to the new characters. Uh, a lot of this is sort of put on Alex, the, you know, the Ben Stiller character. Um, and he and he with the new circus characters are sort of carrying much of the plot. And there's a lot of extended sequences with Francis McDormand's character running around doing sight gags, you know, doing a lot of Keystone Cops kind of thing. So uh, with that said, uh, this one actually was the best reviewed. It was 79% certified really? fresh. Really? Yeah, not no joke. Um, uh. And uh, it was also the highest grossing of all the films at $746 million. So this was a wild success, best reviewed critically, uh, most colorful, most Katy Perry-ish, most Afro Circus-ish. How is this the best reviewed? This is like the most poorly written of all of them. 79% fresh, sir. I just have to imagine that people have 
lowered their standards significantly since the original was released. That, that That's all I've got here. That's the only thing that makes maybe sense to me. No, maybe you're just in the minority and most, and, you know, and, and most people thoroughly enjoyed this movie and it's, I think it is. This is one of those times when I'm going to stand up here and say to all you who think this is a good movie, you're wrong. <laughs> to all you overwhelming people. <laughs> I, uh, look, because... I will accept differences of opinions and perspectives. And if you tell me you enjoy this movie, I'm not going to say, you know, how dare you enjoy something. But if you want to try and argue to me this is the best of these three movies, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I can enumerate to you all the ways in which you are wrong. So I'm looking at it right now on Rotten Tomatoes. It's still standing at a 79% fresh, certified fresh baby, with an audience score of 73%. Okay? Um, again, highest rated of all, all of them. But because uh, – now, this is the long road to ruin. It's not our usual Wednesday fair. But because I have Robert Winfrey here, and there's not a whole lot to talk about with this um, – we're going to play my favorite game, and that is, what did the critics say? And we're Hang on, read before we get into that, I actually do have a couple of things I want to mention about three. Go ahead. Just rattle them off. Rattle and hum, baby. They were about ten years too late to make the nuclear, no, it's pronounced nuclear, dear, the yes is silent joke. Oh, we're still on the, they're a little late on their jokes? I thought we covered that already. At least some of the others were borderline topical. I mean, again, I find pop culture to be, you know, not my thing, but at least with, you know, the other ones, they were written in such that it made sense at least. You know, oh, hey, no one no one in the United States can pronounce nuclear properly. Boy, that sure is, you know, not a gag that's been beaten into the ground. You want to make a joke about the weakest link while we're catching these things at the height of their popularity, people? Um, there's, this is a movie that distracts you with bright colors rather than, you know, tries to have an actual plot. Uh, one of the few things that I enjoyed about this movie, uh, Brian Cranston voices the, uh, Siberian tiger. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, Vitaly. He voices this particular tiger and Brian Cranston doing a nice, uh, Russian accent is about the only positive thing I can bring up about this movie. There's a lot in this movie that doesn't seem to go anywhere, that seems really random. I mean, for example, they actually ended the second one happy to be in Africa, not trying to get home anymore. What exactly changed between two and three that inspired them to want to return to New York again? Uh, the, one of the opening bits is Alex has a nightmare about them growing old in Africa, and I, it never goes anywhere. It's like, what is he having a midlife crisis? Is uh, it's it's just very oddly positioned. It doesn't lead to anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. I mean, the fact that he's sitting next to a calendar or you know a tally of days that he's marked off is just as effective as saying, "Hey, we've been here for a while, waiting." for the Penguins to get back from Monaco, where they have somehow figured out how to win at roulette, which is the craziest thing in the world. Roulette is the essence of random. But them and the chimps have a way to do it, and they've got all... <laughs> there was one line that I kind of chuckled at as far as that goes. 
All right, we finally got enough money to buy a plane, a solid gold plane. Uh, Skip, a solid gold plane wouldn't fly. It'd be too heavy. We're rich. (laughs) The laws of physics no longer apply to us. Uh, again, I got a brief laugh out of. Uh, there's actually a what could have been a somewhat poignant moment in this movie when they finally get back to the zoo and they're looking around and, hey, my rock's not as big as I remember it being. And, oh, man, look at that mural. That's just you know, the backdrop that's supposed to be Africa, man. They really didn't uh, capture the essence of that at all, did they? They just, they're looking around what they were trying to get back to and it is so it's just not enough anymore i mean that one brief scene is a perfect example of the you know you you can't go home again phrase in philosophy but you didn't feel like they did it enough is what you're saying (sighs) it's it's hey before you answer that question let me say this the movie is is 93 minutes it's meant for kids i know my in my experience with kids movies is North of 90 minutes, you're starting to lose the younger kids' attention. Even with a brightly colored, uh, you know, zebra wearing a wig, <laughs> wearing a clown wig, okay? At about, an, at about uh, an hour and 40 minutes, you start to lose the attention of your audience, your, your intended audience. And so you probably could have shortened up a scene here or shortened up a scene there to do more of that. But again, w- w- this isn't meant for adults. And I while I... And while I hear you, they could have done a little bit more. They did enough to drive the point home that, hey, after wishing that they could get home and all of this, they finally do get home and realize it sucks. The point was made very clearly. They didn't need to do any more of that. I suppose I also feel they, not even necessarily in a time perspective, I feel like they glossed over the emotion of it. So much so that it's just, and again, they got back, they're like, man, this is not cutting it anymore. And went, eh, let's go back to the circus. Yeah, that was fun. I think, well, here's the thing. They, um, well, it wasn't just that. They built relationships with these people, and they came, you know, and when they were in trouble, they came to get yeah, them out. Marty so. and that Italian sea lion, boy, they were bros for life. I'm talking about, no, 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 wait a minute. Uh, what do you call it? The leopard, he's uh, he's got a thing for too. Alex, Alex and the leopard. She's a jaguar, first of all. Cheetah, leopard. I don't. Uh, big cat. <laughs> My point is, they had formed a relationship with this circus, and it wasn't so easily broken, especially when they came through for them. All right, fair enough. So. Uh, Shoban Sinat from the Scotsman says this overly long Saturday morning cartoon boasts plenty animals but little magic. That's about right. Um, okay. Uh, here's Sam Adams from Time Out, top critic. Madagascar 3 is less interested in plucking the last bit of meat off the serious bones than with simply picking the lowest hanging fruit. I'd say that's also about right. Okay. How are we going to get gags? Well, there's a sea lion, you see. And Martin Short (laughs) will voice him, and he'll be Italian for some reason. And he'll be slightly retarded. By his own admission. Yes. Actually, I'm not going to read too many more of these. I think this last one, actually, from from Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal, pretty much sums it up perfectly. 
so, so much so that I'm pretty sure I don't have anything else to say after this. Madagascar 3 is all about exuberant motion, cute characters, and gorgeous colors. It aims for the eyes, not the heart. I would also agree with that. Uh, yeah, there's nothing here. We get, they decide they have to get to Monaco to get the penguins. There's a chase scene through the streets of Monaco where that just, yeah. Yeah, King Julian really, almost falls off the edge of a building and I'm sitting there going, yes, die. I don't read one more here. This is my last one, but I'm reading it for Robert Winfrey's sake because, you know, he's like, hey. Hey, look, you know, there's this- a bear. Because circuses have bears, right? Oh, and wouldn't it just be funny if uh, Sasha Baron Cohen fell in love with this bear? Yeah, it's, it, it's not, not funny. It's not funny. If This is Austin Kennedy of Sin Magazine. If you want to see a family film that tries to make kids laugh by throwing lots of loud scenes with obnoxious characters, doing annoying things, and features the latest crack pop songs, <laughs> Madagascar 3 is for you. Yep, that's about it. Uh, do you believe in light after love? I'm going to ask you not to do that again. <laughs> I can either think share or Afro Circus. You pick. Uh, hang on. Let me drive an ice pick through my ears, and then we can try this again. All right. All right. Anything else about this series? I mean, like I said, I didn't – this is one of those shows where, you know, like I wanted to talk about it, but – um. You know, I, I, I want to talk about it. It deserves some bit of conversation, but ultimately, there's not a whole lot to really examine. There's not a lot of deep material here. Um, I believe Jeff Harris from 401mania.com is with us now, and he has uh, an opinion to voice. So go ahead, Jeff. Welcome to the show. I just cannot, four years later, I just cannot fathom. Why you would do the nuclear thing like 10 years later after it was a thing. And, like, I get that Skipper is supposed to be, like, this sort of Republican or something and loves George Bush. But, I mean, seriously, why would you even do that joke? And second, you had the perfect opportunity in the third movie to tie things back into Penguins of Madagascar. Why? Because in that whole show, it's about uh, the Penguins. And King Julian uh, and his buddy, they're all at the, the Central Park Zoo again. And, uh, and the monkeys are there, too. So you had the perfect opportunity to tie everything back in. And then instead, everyone just leaves to go with the circus again. So I didn't get that. I get that, you know, maybe they didn't really care about the TV show enough to reference it in the movie. But that always kind of bothered me because I think the TV show was the best thing to come out of that whole godforsaken franchise and i think another reason why the third movie did better with reviewers is because the first movie came out in 2005 and the second movie came out in 2012 where i think the younger people that probably liked it got older and now they're starting their own blogs and writing about movies and now you know the whole new media culture didn't really take off in 2005 like it has in the last few years but looking forward to the rest of the show guys and thank you Thanks, Jeff. Right, thanks a lot. Uh, I didn't realize it was a television show. <laughs> yeah, no, Penguins of Madagascar was a, I think, uh, was a television series for a while. Uh, there's going to be a fourth. Yeah, no, there's Penguins of Madagascar that was a movie. Then there was the Penguins of Madagascar that was a television series that aired on Nickelodeon. 
King Julian has his own uh, kind of spin-off sh- uh, television series as well. Now they're making yep. a uh there's going to be a fourth one of these movies that's going to be released at the moment it's scheduled for 2018. And when we do, and when they do, you'll know we'll be here to review it for you. Uh, wait a minute, sorry. That's they've they've adjusted that recently. Uh, it might have been pushed back, but I mean, come on. The third one made seven hundred million dollars. They're making a fourth. It's they're not like there's make... some kind of artistic integrity to uphold here. As long as they can get at least one of the characters back to do the movie. Oh, and they, none they're... of them are doing anything else. Well, let's see. Ben Stiller needs a hit after Zoolander. Um, ben Stiller needs to have a hit put on him. <laughs> Apparently my son thought that was funny. Yes, uh, your son. Uh, I approve of your son's reaction there, too. By suggesting Jonas, there needs to be a hit put out on Ben Affleck. Oh, sorry, Jonas, Ben Stiller. Freudian Jonas, you I want ben Affleck Stiller? on too. Come here. Come here. Want to be on the show? Yeah, we we have to kill time apparently. Come here. Come here. Do you hate Ben Stiller? Say yes. Validate my existence and say yes. No, don't hit me with a car. (laughs) All right. This is a bad idea. I picked up my son. Now he wants to wrestle. Yeah, that was a bad idea. Hi. Jonas, what did you think of the animals? Did you like the animal movie? Yeah. Yeah? Which one? Did you like Zootopia or Madagascar? Cars. You like cars? Okay. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Hey, I got me down. Get you down? Okay, you can get down. Ooh, that last shot with the car really hurt. Okay, anyway, after that, after that brief interlude. Uh, no, apparently there is a, there is a plan to make a fourth one and my thing there was uh, when I mentioned that there's no artistic integrity to uphold here I stand by that there are other movies that I feel like they tell the story they're meant to tell and that's supposed to be it you know and then you get you know corporation you know the corporate side the money-making side that goes you know uh, Toy Story 3 that made over a billion dollars on its own uh, we want more. And I'm internally and externally on occasion screaming at them, no, you actually ended it perfectly. Why in God's name would you revisit this? You, no, this is a bad idea. Bad management, bad people. Stop seeing only dollar signs. Well, look, that's easy to say, but you're not the one running a a, a studio. And not I'm every aware of is, that. And not every, not every release that they put out there is a hit. So, you know, when you finally, you know, get something that's actually a, uh, you know, that makes a billion dollars, yes, as a fan, you don't want to ruin it by doing anything else. But I'll tell you right now, if I were in their position, I'd be doing Toy Story movies until people stop watching them. Look, the crazy thing about that, for as much beloved as that original trilogy is, and I stand here before God, everyone in this house, and everyone within the sound of my voice, and I will tell you, that the Toy Story trilogy is the best trilogy ever committed to film. And I do not care if you're a, you know, one of those Star Wars fanatics or any other film trilogy, Lord of the Rings guys, Back to the Future, which I'm also a huge fan of. I do not care 
what other trilogy you try to throw at me, I maintain that. Those three movies are the best three movies in a series ever put to film. There, I want to go over, since we're talking about this, uh, I'm going to talk about the, you know, we talked about how Pixar has you know, made features of not over a billion dollars, Toy Story 3. Um, DreamWorks hasn't yet. DreamWorks' best movie, best, most grossing movie, was Shrek 2. Made $920 million. Shrek the Third made $799 million. Shrek $750 million. And Madagascar 3, which we were just talking about, made $747 million. Um, none of the Kung Fu Panda movies have surpassed them. None of the High Training Dragons have surpassed them. Um, their worst one was actually The Road to El Dorado in 2000. Well, it's not only their worst performing financially, it's their worst movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Road to El Dorado is an odd... Road to El Dorado is actually an odd case study because it was originally intended as a 13 or a soft R-rated animated film aimed at adults and, you know, older teenagers. That was the vision for the story, and there were elements of the story that were going to play into that. When they found out it was being marketed to kids, they had to edit the crap out of that thing to get it down hmm. to the rating that it got. So here's what's coming up for DreamWorks, okay? Here, here's what they've got in the slate between 2000, uh, later this year, 2016, and 2019 to possibly, possibly hit that billion-dollar mark. Are you ready? So that, and then I think after this, both of us are going to need to get, a, to get a shower going. Go for it. Trolls, later this year, November 4th, 2016. You know, the little little toy trolls thing with the hair? Yeah. I know what it is. Yep. Trolls the movie. Terrible <laughs> idea. But no, the emoji movie is a terrible idea. This is just going to wait. Stop. That's a thing. Wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop for just a second. Yes, sir. There's some idiot out there who's actually trying to make an emoji movie. Yes, sir. 2017. Uh, being it's, it's I like hate Sony you Wonder. all so much right now. <laughs> wait a minute. Who do you hate? Where, you're just blindly hating for no good reason. No, 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 no. I hate whoever thought that was a good idea to pitch. I hate whoever decided to write it. I hate whoever thought it was a good idea to put into development. I'm going to hate whoever they saw, whoever directed it. I hate whoever agreed to release it. And I'm and I might just have to burn down a local theater if they decide to felt to show it. This is the emoji thing. No, what is the matter with you people? All right, uh, this comes from. Now you've distracted me with the, How did we right. end up here? <laughs> so, so yeah, you mentioned they have the Trolls movie uh, March of next year. No, 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 wait a you got me started on this. Now I want to okay. finish. This, I want to finish this little sidebar you got me on. Uh, right. Sony's, Sony's Emoji Movie will arrive in summer 2017. Sony Pictures Animation has set August 11, 2017, release date for the Emoji Movie, making it the first title to land on the date. Sony won rights in July to the pro. One the rights. In July to the project, based on a pitch by Eric Siegel and Anthony Leondis about the round-headed figures that have become ubiquitous in social media. The duo are co-writing the script with Leondis directing. The logline is under wraps. I don't 
I don't understand this world. I just I I okay. Movies out of video games. I understand. A lot of video games are cinematic. A crappy nostalgia trip like Adam Sandler gave us with Pixels, as crappy as that movie was, and Mark and I reviewed it. I had to sit through that crap for you people so you didn't have to. I understand that. Even a stupid flash game like Angry Birds. I can almost understand. What the hell are we doing here, people? (laughs) How did we arrive at this? Uh, Donald Trump's going to be president, and we're going to have an emoji movie. (laughs) That just gets better and better. Uh, If I didn't... Those have to be signs of the apocalypse, and we're just all misinterpreting something. All right, so uh, March 10th, 2017, Boss Baby. I don't know what that's about. Um, In December... Don't you understand? It's a baby that's put in a position of authority over a multi-billion dollar company. Terrific. I don't know, actually. I'm just making an assumption there. Competing with Star Wars, Croods 2. Um, that's December 22nd, 2017. On February 16th, 2018, we have Larrikins. I don't know what that, what that is either. Uh, June 29th, 2018, How to Train Your Dragon 3. And Kung Fu Panda 4 in 2019. Films in development with no, with no release date. Captain Underpants. God help us all. If Captain Underpants doesn't make a billion dollars, I don't know what will. Uh, Boo. Bureau of Otherworldly Operations. Mumbai Musical. Exactly, Joe. Ouch. Puss in Boots 2, Nine Lives in 40 Thieves. Madagascar 4. The Adventures of Beagle, The Unimaginary Friend. Everest. Some titled... Edgar Wright's film about shadows, Alma, Lidsville, Blood Dogs, Rumpwick, The Grim Legacy, this is my favorite one, Untitled Blue-Footed Booby Film, I don't know what a blue-footed booby is. It's a bird. <laughs> and lastly, Have Hot you never Stuff. seen these pictures of blue-footed boobies? No, sir. Google it. They're an odd-looking bird is all. Not going to come up with pornography, is it? No, seriously. Blue footed booby will give you a bird. Okay. I, I would not. Why in the world would I lie to you about that? I don't know. So I think we've beaten the subject to death. Are we ready to close out the show here? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, if you need a movie to try and put your kids to sleep to, try these three because I've said before. If you've got, you know, an infant, two-year-old, three-year-old, and you find something that puts them to sleep, you do not question it. You thank whatever deity you pray to that you discovered something that works. <laughs> um, or, you know, if you, again, if you look at watch on a Saturday, uh, this, is, this, this is harmless. Madagascar is harmless fun. Um, it's not deep. It's not as good as your typical Disney movie. But it's harmless. It, this is the kind of thing where you watch it and go, oh, my God, what are you exposing my children to? It's fine. It's certainly not You're as You're better bad. off watching any of the movies from Illumination, especially the Despicable Me movies. Or Minions. Minions. Uh, I, I might even go so far as to say Hotel Transylvania 1 and 2 are better 
uh, are better quality pictures, and I don't we have did. a terribly high opinion of those. We talked about Hotel Transylvania 2 for quite a bit when we reviewed it. You know, we had plenty of good things to say about it. All right, so that's the end of our show here. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with the animated Dark Knight movie. Sean Comer should be back. I know he was particularly excited about talking about it. He loves the DC animated view, so uh, he'll uh, help They're us all good movies. What's not to yeah. love about how Warner Brothers has handled the animated comic properties they have? I mean, you want to complain yeah. about their live action stuff, we can, will, and in fact, and, you and I <laughs> will in the future, very briefly. <laughs> In the not too distant future, Mark Radlich and I are going to have a go at a couple of the DC movies. Um, and that so the, later tonight, tomorrow morning, Daredevil season two premiere, and we'll cover that uh, next Wednesday. Both Robert and I, I'll be on source material discussing Superman Earth One on Monday. On Tuesday, Robert Cooper's choice, Metal Hammer of Doom, Destroyer Six Six Six, their latest album, Wildfire. As I said, then Daredevil Season 2 on Wednesday. On Thursday, Robert Winfrey and I will do our In Defense of Man of Steel podcast. On Friday, the new Amon Amok comes out, and Gavin and Pat Mullen will, Gavin Napier and Pat Mullen will do their uh, The Case Against Man of Steel podcast, and um, Batman vs. Superman will actually finally come out after the 9 million trailers that they've released. Um, the following Wednesday, we'll review Batman vs. Superman. Long Road Ruin returns with the animated Dark Knight. On Friday, Baby Metal drops, uh, Resistance, um, and I'll be on a flight to uh, Dallas for WrestleMania. So that's the rest of March, folks. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. Uh, Mark and I talking about Man of Steel, which uh, I, I have to rewatch it, but I... Uh, a lot of the dislike that movie gets, I that's not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination, but so much of the animosity directed at it comes from your own poorly realized preconceived notions about what the film should have been. And Okay. Well, leave it in the box. Leave it in the, you did this last night, and I wanted to sprang it. I did. Well, I'm just, just as a teaser, because I will expound on that theory. Okay. I'm going to. Well, it, it, it's one thing for me to just. Uh, I'm going to go like point by point with some of the negative reviews. Like, no, here's why you're wrong. Well, you can hear all that nine o'clock next Thursday. Yep, I've only been talking be about it since January. So, uh, go ahead and plug the uh, MMA stuff. All right, this coming Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, I will be providing live coverage of UFC Fight Night 85. Mark Hunt is fighting Frank Mir. What do you bet? They both gas out in the second, and we go all five with them just leaning on each other. I'm really hoping Mark Hunt knocks them out in the first round. That's my official prediction, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Look, Frank Mir's cardio sucks. The longer this goes, the more it favors Hunt. <laughs> That's how bad Frank Mir's cardio is. Mark Hunt has better conditioning. Uh, anyway... Uh, Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can find me hosting the 411 Ground and Pound radio show here on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. This Sunday, myself and Jeff Harris will be reviewing UFC Fight Night 85. I think we're taking a week off. Uh, there's a few questions I that need to be answered about one of the upcoming events that is scheduled for a Sunday, uh, the Dos Santos versus 
uh, Rothwell card. It's from Croatia, so I'm not sure about the timing of it or even where it's being broadcast. I'm not sure how much of it's Fox Sports 1, how much of it's Fight Pass, so on and so forth. Question. So if it, yeah. Will you be talking about how the U the end of the UFC is coming because Matt Mitrione oh, <laughs> No, I, I, I want a serious answer to that question. No. Because Matt Mitri as Matt Mitrione's career goes, so does the UFC is an extraordinarily false narrative. The man's an <laughs> utterly expendable heavyweight. Who cares where he fights? What if Roy McDonald signs with Bellator? That's He's a much bigger deal. What if what if Rory McDonald signs with Bellator? Wouldn't that then make the UFC have to reconsider how it's doing business? To a couple of degrees, yes. But if Rory actually signs with Bellator, we can revisit that discussion. At the moment, uh, it's pure speculation that leads to nothing. If Rory McDonald, a 26-year-old fighter who's legitimately one of the three best welterweights on the planet decides that he's better off getting paid in Bellator and crushing tomato cans, then yeah, we're going to have to revisit some of the paradigms under which business is conducted in the world of mixed martial arts. Matt Mitrione is not indicative of anything. I'd go so far as to say even Benson Henderson isn't necessarily indicative of some paradigm shift. I feel like I feel like you need to bring this up on say. I probably won't. Okay. I mean, if you want it discussed, you could always call in and ask about it. I'll repeat myself, basically, but that's entirely up to you. The show does take live callers. That's my network. I'll call in whenever I damn well want to. <laughs> Whether or not you're taking live callers. I'm just saying there are certain shows that I do that I might not answer you on. I can let myself on, thank you very much. I can fight with you in the uh, studio page. Remember, I have your password. <laughs> I can change my password. I can do this yeah, all night, sir. Then you just have to give it to me again. This is true. This is getting us nowhere. <laughs> all <laughs> right. Plug. No, I think that's all I've got to plug. I did lose in the opening round of the uh, Factor Fiction tournament by one vote to Alex Rella. Uh, I predicted my own loss there because I didn't think I would. Uh, Rella usually it has a strong contingent that comes out for him on a consistent basis. I'm not nearly that. Uh, people who turn up for me tend to do so on a much more inconsistent basis. And I also don't consider my answers within the scope of what's going to garner me the most votes. I give my concerted opinion on the question presented. And the fact that I kind of stuck up for, uh, no, no, sorry, that wasn't relevant. He and I both answered the same. Anyway, point is I'm out. Mark's on, Mark's actually through to the next round, I believe. Yes, I am. Yeah. So vote for Mark if you think he wins. Vote for the other guy if you don't. I'm I don't especially. I'm sad to be out, but I expected it, so I'm not emotionally torn up about it. But thanks to everyone who is supporting that endeavor, uh, continue to do so. Those are always fun. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Unless some form of inspiration strikes me and I decide that my writing isn't, you know, the absolute dirt worst it's ever been, I might submit something. Uh, but honestly, between podcast every week, coverage almost every week, uh, I just the urge to participating in roundtables and the occasional factor fiction, my desire to actually write a thousand words or so a week about MMA is really sapped. But I might. 
Uh, I wrote something not too long ago, then decided it was crap and didn't submit it, but that's a whole other story. All right. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's all the plugs I've got. Uh, Mark and I get to abuse each other a little more uh, on Wednesday when we talk about Daredevil. Yes, uh, maybe we'll be lucky and it'll it'll drop sooner than later tonight. Uh, otherwise, i got to get to bed. <laughs> i got work tomorrow. You're better oh, off cool. going to bed. <laughs> Very well. All right, so for Sean Comer, who could not be with us tonight, uh, you'll see, you'll hear from him again in two weeks. Uh, for Robert Winfrey, who stepped into the breach tonight. Um, and for myself, this has been a Rattledge Broadcasting Network presentation of The Long Road to Ruin. I beseech you all to be well, be safe, and where the hell is my theme music? Oh, Sorry, Larry Drake died. Yeah. Be that well, sucks. be safe. It does. Behave.